Today we learn about the kingdom of God. It's really the beginning of a, of a series that we're starting here in Mark. Uh, this is the beginning of a section uh, within this series about the kingdom of God. Different, different uh, study Bibles and different scholars would, would frame this story in, in different ways. Some would call this the parable of the soils because they think the emphasis that Jesus is making on the different soils that are present in the latter part of this parable as Jesus is explaining this to his disciples. Some would say this is more about the sower himself. Um, it's, it's really about all three things. It's, it's about the sower, it's about the soils, and it's about the seed. And so uh, that's what the, the section is about. But we're going to focus primarily this morning on the sower. Even though this is a parable about a sower, seeds, and soil. Seed and soils. It's mostly about the sower himself and what we're going to focus on this morning. Last week we discovered that Jesus uh, did not care. Actually his intention was to upset the world when he came into it. He will upset your world, we discovered last week. Uh, being a Christian many times is an unsettling thing. You will experience times in your life where your world is not settled. Your life doesn't feel settled and that's okay. God is still working on you. And uh, you should expect those times in your life. And that's one of the most important reasons for having a church family, for having brothers and sisters alongside of you to walk with you. When you think life is crazy and normal Christians don't go through these things, you will discover, yes, we all do. Is that encouraging to you? I hope it is. This morning we're going to learn a little bit about gardening. How many of you uh, like to garden? Anybody? few? All right, great. Got some fellow gardening homies here. I love to garden. And um, I have discovered that my favorite time of the year here in Maricopa, Arizona, it's a very small window, but it goes from about spring break, so about middle March, to Cinco de Mayo. That's my favorite time of the year here in Maricopa, Arizona. There, other times of the year are great, but this is my favorite window. And one of the favorite things that I like to do is get in my backyard and do some gardening. And so I've got some tomatoes planted, I've got some flowers planted, I've got some jalapeno peppers planted. I even planted some cilantro this year, hoping, hoping the only thing we have to buy for salsa, because we got a lime tree a couple years ago, is our, our onions. And so we'll be able to, take, to make some homemade uh, pico de gallo. That's my, that's my dream, okay? I know I have lofty dreams. But something really strange happened this year. Last year I bought a couple of... Uh, pots and um, I, I had I bought some petunia flowers Are you familiar with petunias they're real popular this time of the year but about May they start dying off because you just can't keep them cool enough but this time of the year they're really great and I bought some petunias I had them in a pot I put some really good soil in there and then they died and then I pulled them out and I threw them in the trash you know whatever I can't remember how this happened but sometime around November in that same little flower pot that had nothing in it for several months, I start seeing these little green dots pop up. And I go, huh, something's coming up in my flower pot. That's cool. A couple months later, it gets bigger, and then it gets bigger, and then it gets bigger, and I look at the leaves, and I go, kind of looks like petunias. But how in the world did those get there? And I, I'm getting old, so I can't remember. I can't remember, I can't remember if I scattered some seeds there, because I knew I bought some petunia seeds, and, and did I scatter seeds there? Or is this... 
dead seeds from the old plant you know, that fell down and coming back, whatever. And I thought, well, we'll wait and see. They probably won't, probably won't have many flowers on there, you know. It just exploded. It's growing out of this pot all these beautiful, like deep purple, dark violet flowers. Just gorgeous. Makes the whole backyard smell good. And I can't for the life of me figure out how, what I did. Chances are I will not repeat this. It's too good to be true. But this is one of those happy accidents in the garden. It was a mystery to me. It still is a mystery to me. I, I don't know how it happened. Today we learn about the mystery of the kingdom of God and Jesus actually uses this terminology kind of like a gardener. Someone who goes out to sow some seed. And in the Bible, it's not strange that the, the work of God, the, the gospel, the kingdom of God, the way God works is compared to a garden or things that you find in a garden. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, we learn about the fruit of the Spirit. The, the actual works of the Spirit are compared to fruit. The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faith, control, faith, uh, self-control. Fruit of the Spirit. Why in the world fruit? In the Garden of Eden, we learn about a tree, the knowledge of good and evil. Why a tree? Why are Adam and Eve put in a garden? To keep a garden. When Jesus enters in, he's getting ready to enter in Jerusalem and he comes in and he sees this, he sees this olive tree that's not producing. Why are you picking a fight with an olive tree? It's just a tree and he curses it. Because it's not bearing fruit. Jesus also says, I am the vine, you are the branches, he says to his disciples. My father is the vine dresser. Any branch in me that does not bear fruit, he prunes it. Interesting. He says, abide in me and I in you. You only have life in me like a vine that abides or branches that abide in a vine. And then later on in the, the next section we're going to move to in the next couple of weeks, he starts talking about a specific type of seed. You remember what kind of seed it is? A mustard seed. All throughout the Bible, the kingdom of God is talked about in these terms. It's a, th there are mysteries to the kingdom of God, but God gives us little paintings and little pictures, things that we can see in real life that, that make sense. And so it's no different here. Follow along with me in Mark 4, verses 1 through 20. And he began to teach again by the sea, and such a very great multitude gathered to him that he got into a boat in the sea and sat down. And the whole multitude was by the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And was saying to them in his teaching, Listen to this. Behold, the sower went out to sow. And it came about that as he was sowing, some seed fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate it up. And another seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of soil. And after the sun had risen, it was scorched. And because, of, because it had no root, it withered away. And another seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. And other seeds fell into the good soil. And as they grew up and increased, they yielded a crop and produced thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. 
And he was saying, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And as soon as he was alone, his followers, along with the twelve, began asking him about the parables. And he was saying to them, To you has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God, but those who are outside get everything in parables. In order that while seeing they may not see, they may see and not perceive, and while hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they return and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? And how will you understand all the parables? Verse 14. The sower sows the word. And these are the ones who are beside the road where the word is sown. And when they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word which has been sown in them. And in a similar way, these are the ones on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, whom, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no firm root in themselves, but are only temporary. Then, when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are those on whom seed was sown among the thorns. These are the ones who have heard the word, and the worries of the world... And the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. And those are the ones on whom the seed was sown on the good soil and they hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. Such an interesting parable, isn't it? An interesting story. The central verse to this entire passage is verse 11, which doesn't concern itself too much with seeds, sowers, or soils. But Jesus says this to a small group of people, maybe about a hundred, maybe a little more, 12 apostles, and then more people, dozens of other people who, like the apostles, are doing something that the crowds are not doing. And that is, they are following Jesus, not for the miracles, not for the food, not for the free lunch, not for the wow factor, not for the emotional high. They're following him for who he is. Very small group of people. And Jesus says this to them in verse 11. He says, to you has been given... The mystery of the kingdom. The mystery of the kingdom of God. And from this point on, all, almost everything Jesus is going to talk about and interweave into is all about, guess what? The kingdom of God. This is how the kingdom of God is going to work. It's a mystery, but Jesus reveals it to those who follow him. There's this language in verse 11 of being inside and being outside. Those who are inside are those who know Jesus. They know him personally. The people on the outside are people who know of him. They've even experienced him. Some of them might even have had a demon cast out or they've, they've been healed by Jesus but still they're on the outside because they don't know him personally. They know of him. 
There are many people in our world today who know of Jesus who might even consider themselves Christian because they live in a Christian environment but who don't know the mystery of God because they have no personal relationship with Jesus. But this is what all this passage is about, the mystery of God. And what we learn specifically this morning is that God is the sower. The sower is representative of God in Christ. And Jesus is saying to this small group of people, he's saying, God, the Father, through me, is presenting his kingdom to the world. He's telling the truth about who he is. He's revealing his truth about who humanity is. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There are none that are righteous, not even one. Everyone needs God's forgiveness through Christ. And Jesus is saying, God is right now in in me, Jesus is saying, God is doing this work of a sower. This is the work God is doing through Jesus. It's the work that Jesus is doing. And what he's saying specifically about God the Father is that God is intentional about his kingdom. You need to know that and be encouraged by that. God is intentional about his kingdom. Look at verse 5 or verse 3, sorry. Listen to this, he says. Listen, behold. That means look. When Jesus says behold, he means pay attention. A sower, listen to what he says, went out to sow. He doesn't say a sower who had seed with him was walking around and these things just happened to occur. Some seed fell out. Some seed fell out on the rocks. Some seed fell out on the roadside. Some seed fell out among the thorns. Some, and then some accidentally fell out in the good soil. See, that's what happened in my garden. That's not, what happened in, that's not what happens in God's garden. He's intentional. He went out to sow, Jesus says. God is purposeful. When he sends out his word, it accomplishes that which he intends for it to accomplish. In our world, in your life. Listen to this. Lamentations 2.17a says, The Lord has done what he purposed. That is what he meant to do. He has accomplished his word which he commanded from days of old. This is the way that God works. Jesus says this is the way the kingdom of God works. God makes a promise, he keeps it. He's intentional. Things don't happen by accident. Again, we see it in Isaiah 55, 11. So shall my word, God says, which goes forth from my mouth, it shall not return to me empty. Some of your Bibles might say void. Without accomplishing what I desire. Jesus is saying here, the sower has a plan. He has a purpose. He has a desire. He goes out for the purpose of sowing seed. He wants a crop. Isn't that what we want when we plant things? Man, I can't wait till I see that first blade come through the soil. Woohoo! My kids think I'm crazy. I'll show them all the little seedlings when they first sprout in my windowsill. They're like, Dad, I've never seen you so happy. What is your problem? You are sick. It accomplishes what he desires and without succeeding in the, in the manner for which I sent. He says, it, it will not return to me without being successful. The sower is intentional. The father is intentional. God's word fills things. It produces things. 
In Genesis chapter one, verses one through three, we learn at the very beginning, the Bible says, in the beginning, the earth was formless and void. Tohu vabohu. It means, it wasn't like chaotic matter and God took the matter and he made something like we do out of Play-Doh, you know? No. Ek nihilo, out of nothing. Out of nothing. There was nothing there was no matter, there was no energy, nothing. God spoke and it was. That's what God does. That's what he does in human hearts. When our hearts are stone cold and rocky ground, God makes something happen. By the power of his Holy Spirit, he softens our heart. He cultivates that earth and he plants the seed of the gospel in us and it produces fruit. Aren't you glad? God's word fills things in Romans chapter 4 look at this verse last week which describes God this way God who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which what doesn't exist sometimes we think that if we could just get God's help with our project if we could just get him to fine-tune the areas of our life that we've handled by ourselves, things will be good. That's not the way God works. He's a king. We submit to his authority. We submit to his sovereignty. We don't ask him to just bless the things that we are doing. We ask him to take over. Take control. Amen? Take over. Do what I, I can't do any of this, Lord. He's the creator. That's how Jesus describes this sower here. He went out to sow. Now as he's going along to sow, some things happen. But he's still going somewhere to sow. And where is he going? He's going to a, to a place that has fertile land. Probably something that he's already cultivated, right? And he's going there with the purpose of sowing that seed. And some things happen. As he was sowing, verse 4 says... As he was doing that which he planned to do, which he purposed to do, some seed fell beside the road. The birds came and ate it up. Some seed fell on the rocky ground. There was not much soil there. It had no root, no depth of soil. So, what happened? It didn't spring up. Sun scorched it, withered away. Verse 7. Other seed fell among the thorns. The thorns came up, choked it, and it yielded no crop. You know the funny thing about thorns and briars? You don't have to plant them. Isn't that funny? They just happen. And they happen usually where you've tilled up the ground and where you want to plant something nice. They come in. At least that's my experience. They choke things up. He... He says these are, whenever he interprets this and explains to this small group of people whom he chooses to reveal the mystery of the kingdom to, he calls this, these thorns, the worries of the world, verse 19 says. Some of your Bibles might say, and more accurately, the worries of the age. That is, the worries of the times. When I was growing up, I wasn't mad when somebody took my cell phone away as a kid. 
You know why? Didn't have one. Right? You take a kid's cell phone away today, it's like amputating a limb. The worries of the age. There are things that you're worried about right now that are not going to matter 10 years from now. Those things are keeping you out of God's word and off of your knees in prayer and out of the ministry of God's word and they don't matter. They don't matter. Those things don't matter. But there will always be worries and anxieties in every age that we as human beings completely blow out of proportion. Completely blow out of proportion. These are the thorns and thistles of life. The God's word. Even though others hear it and they may receive it for a short period of time. They're not, they're, they're the crowds. These are the crowds of people Jesus is comparing his followers to. See, the word of God blesses people everywhere. That's the grace of God. See, Jesus doesn't say the sower went to sow and he kept all of his seeds sealed. He did not allow them to fall anywhere. He went directly to the good soil. He put the seed down he didn't say that. He says that as he's going, some of the seed falls. Falls alongside these different places. Jesus is saying to this small group of disciples and apostles who he's preparing for the world ahead of them, many of these men are going to also die by crucifixion, just like Jesus. And he's saying to them, as you go out and you preach and teach and disciple people in my name, there are people that, are, that you're going to get imprisoned because of the gospel. You're going to get persecuted because of the seed. It's not all good. Some of this seed is going to spill out. We get excited. We get excited when politicians in our country claim to be Christians. Well, we're going to vote for this guy or this lady because they're, they say they're, they go to church. They go, they're Christians or whatever. Maybe we'll have a godly society. Maybe we'll have, you know, uh, a government that looks like the New Testament church. Will never happen, folks. Will never happen this side of heaven. But there will be governments. There will be school systems like the one that we're in today, meeting in today who benefit from the gospel in some ways. A little bit spills over and, and they start adopting worldviews that are very similar to the Christian worldview. But even though their ethics and their morals might change over time, in the end, something's going to choke it out. Something's going to keep it from getting the root because salvation is the work of God. It's the work of God. You can try to change a company. You can try to change an education system. You can try to change a government. But you can't. You can't make those things Christian. You can infiltrate them and serve in them and serve the Lord in all of those institutions and, and worship the Lord through that. And your influence, you're gonna influence people individuals and as you pray for them as you pray the Holy Spirit would soften their heart 
so that those seeds of the gospel will bear fruit. God will answer those prayers. But it's not with organizations, folks. It's with people. It's with people. Individual people. So Jesus is preparing. He's preparing his disciples for this. He even asked them the question, how, do, do you not understand this parable? To get them thinking about where they are in their relationship with God. And then he asked them, how will, you, how will you understand any of the parables? This is a rhetorical question. And he answers his own question by saying, by, by saying this, you can't interpret the parables unless, you can't understand the kingdom of God unless, unless you are fertile soil. And the only way you can be fertile soil is by the work of God. In the Old Testament, God promises his people that he's going to remove their stone, of, their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. How much blood can a stone be saturated with? Zero. None. I don't know the numbers, but I know the human heart is saturated with blood. Only God can do that. And he's intentional to do that work. We must also be intentional. In Romans chapter 10, the Bible says, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how shall they call upon him in whom they've not believed? How shall they believe in him in whom they've not heard? How will they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? A preacher is someone who proclaims the word. Well, if they're supposed to be, anyway. A preacher is nothing unless they've got the seeds of the gospel in their pocket, right? It does no, it does no good to do gospel work without the gospel. But how will they preach? How will they proclaim? How will they take the seed unless someone sends them and says go there we have to be intentional now whenever Paul said that in Romans 10 he follows up he says how beautiful are the feet of those who bring glad tidings of good things verse 16 however they did not all heed the glad tidings talking about the Jews during this time in Mark 4 when Jesus is telling everyone about the kingdom preaching the kingdom of God not everybody who heard him, not everyone who the seed was scattered upon, not all of them, Paul says, heeded or received or accepted those glad tidings. Faith comes from hearing, he says, and hearing by the word of Christ. So Paul in Romans 10 is saying this, this is how it works. The sower goes out, he scatters seed. We as the church, we go out, we scatter seed on people. The seeds of the gospel, we tell them about Jesus. But some of them, as we go out, some of them will not receive the gospel. They will never be born again. If we, if we reject that truth, if we reject the truth that some people will not be saved, 
then we're, we're disagreeing with Jesus and what he says in Mark 4. Because this is what he's saying. There are some people who the gospel will be shared with them in some way, but it won't take root because the Holy Spirit has to do a work in them and prepare them and illuminate them and open up their eyes, very much like the Apostle Paul on his way to Damascus. God had to blind this man to make him see. Isn't that great? That's the way God works. This story, that, this way that Jesus describes the kingdom of God completely explodes universalism and inclusivism. What are those things? Universalism says that the, that the death of Jesus, that when Jesus died on the cross, his atonement is universally applied effectively and efficiently for every human being who's ever lived. That means essentially that every human being who's ever born and died will be in heaven. Now we like to think that, but it's just not true. Or inclusivism says this, that it's not only Christians who believe in Jesus who will spend eternity with the Father, but people of other faiths who are trying religiously to get to heaven on their own terms, in their own way. Jesus' description of the kingdom of God here in Mark 4 explodes those two ideas. It is only through Christ and is only through personal faith in Christ. It is only by the work of God that someone can be born again. We must be intentional about the gospel, to share the gospel. It is the truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Amen? Secondly, we have to be faithful to handle the gospel well. In 2 Timothy 1.14, we looked at this in our men's group yesterday. Paul tells Timothy, this young pastor, he urges him in 2 Timothy 1.14, guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. So he gives this caveat, Timothy, I'm talking to you because you are good soil. The Holy Spirit has done a work in you. You're one of us. You're on the inside, not the outside. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. He goes on later in chapter 2 to say, not only should you guard what's been entrusted to you, but you are to entrust this to faithful men who will do likewise. Meaning elders, other men in the church. You are to entrust that to faithful ones who will do the same. So we must be intentional, we must be faithful, and we must have faith. We must have faith that God is working through us. Now sometimes he works in ways through us that we, that we really like and, and ways that we expect. But notice what Paul says here in 2 Corinthians two fifteen and 16. We, Christians, specifically the apostles that were going around sharing the gospel, we are a fragrance I smelled somebody's cologne this morning. I was like, man, that smells pretty good. I, nobody was within three feet of me. So good job. It smelled really good. We are a fragrance of Christ to God, a fragrance of Christ to God. That's worship, right? Among, look at all these prepositions. I love this. Among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, an aroma of death to death. To the other, an aroma from life to life. 
Brothers and sisters, that means that as you go out and you sow the seeds of the gospel and you're faithful to the message, you, it doesn't matter what the results are. You are worshiping the Father in spirit and in truth. And you're gonna have friends and family and coworkers who never receive the gospel. That is not the measurement of your faithfulness or your faith. The measurement of your faithfulness is are you faithful to sow the seed? And sometimes when you do, you're proclaiming the gospel to those who are perishing. Paul goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 1, the gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing, perishing but to those, who are, to, to those who believe, to us, it is the wisdom of God and the power of God. And so he says, so we preach it. We teach it. We know some people are gonna reject it. We know some people are gonna be completely scandalized by it. But it is the life source for eternal life. Brothers and sisters, I hope that you are encouraged by that fact that God is intentional about his word. God is intentional about his kingdom and he will bring it to pass in you and through you. He's intentional with his garden. He's intentional not only to plant it but also to prune it, we learn. In the Christian life, God's not only intentional in bringing you to Christ, he's intentional in getting you across the finish line. I love Hebrews chapter 12 because it says that we have a father in heaven. Now I know today, (laughs) just talk to any teacher. I'm on the site council here at Santa Rosa and I talk to teachers all the time and the, the disappearance of discipline, not in the schools, but in the American home is unbelievably shocking. If you don't discipline your kids at home and you send them to school, shame on you. (laughs) Speaking for my wife, sorry. (laughs) Hebrews chapter 12, verse three. Consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood and you're striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. And then he quotes from the Old Testament. So two things he says to his audience. You have not yet resisted to the shedding of blood. You're growing weary, you're losing heart, and you've forgotten this most important thing, verse 5. You are sons and daughters of God. You're not just creatures of God. You are sons and daughters of God. And listen to this, verse seven. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? We have a heavenly Father. He's not only intentional about bringing you to life out of nothing, but he's intentional with you 
as a plant in his garden. And if he sees something in your life that's not pleasing to him, he's going to prune it. It's going to hurt. You ready for that? You okay with that? He does it because he loves you. He does it because he loves me. God is intentional. He's intentional about everything that he does. Brothers and sisters, we learn here in this story about sower, the seed, singular, and different soils. I was surprised about my petunias. I still am. I'm shocked. I have no idea what happened. Uh, but the truth is, it, it wasn't completely an accident, was it? That they sprung up. I had intentionally bought a pot. I put soil in it, fertilizer in it. Don't know how the seeds got there. But they did, somehow. I will tell you this, if you look around the rest of my yard, we've got a little part of grass, you know, a little bit of grass there, some weeds in it. We've got some rocks along the outer wall. You know what I don't see in any of that? No petunias. So I know something special happened in this pot. I just don't know what. But I prepared it in some way. If you walked into my backyard and you saw that pot of flowers, you would not assume, oh, that's an accidental thing. Interesting that they grew there, not somebody else, somewhere else on the rocks, on the grass. No, there's intentionality there. Now, God is even more intentional. He knows what he's doing. He knows what he's done in your life. Nothing is accidental. He is intentional. A sower went out to sow, and Jesus is saying, God sent me, Jesus of Nazareth, to save you from your sins gave his Holy Spirit to soften the stony human heart so that the gospel would take root and bear fruit and be pleasing to him. And that's what it's all about. Being pleasing to the Lord.